0: Welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because today we get to welcome a first-time guest who places an emphasis on creative storytelling in their work, whether they're singing, creating video essays, or streaming on Twitch. We're delighted to welcome the talented creator, the Slushy, to the podcast. Welcome, Slushy. Yeah, welcome.
1: Hi! Oh my God, you're giving me way more credit than I deserve. But thank you, that was a great intro.
0: (laughs) No, it's so... You know, I was thinking about it earlier. I am so glad that we're finally getting to make this work because back before MCU Need to Know was a podcast, it was a separate Discord that was created to talk about Mm in-game. And so whenever that was going on, I remember pitching to Jude, I was like, we should turn this into a podcast. And you were among the first names. I was like, oh, we could even have this person on as a guest to talk about it. This would be so perfect. I remember that. (laughs) So the fact that we're finally making this work is just makes me so happy.
1: Oh, that makes me happy as well. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So of course, we are going to get to some of the Marvel goodness, but we did want to take some time to spotlight your work here at the top. I was wondering if you could let our listeners know what they can expect when they tune into a The Slushy stream over on Twitch. (laughs)
1: all right so i stream twice a week right now mondays and thursdays monday i've been playing through persona 5 royal and i've been playing that for like a year and a half now like every it's it's a once a week game and it's a long game but I'm, i'm close to the end of it so i think i might still keep going with persona and like Thursdays is just whatever I feel like it. Last week I played a whole bunch of wordle clones just cuz <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know it's just, just eh, whatever. So, so it, it's it's pretty chill. It's uh pretty goofy. Uh, yeah. That, that I think that that's pretty much it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on on this what what's what what drew you to streaming? Like what what was it that said I'm diving in. This is my creative outlet
1: yeah okay it was really funny it was it came because i left uh so i grew up in new zealand and i moved to the u.s about eight years ago and my brother and i used to backseat game each other a whole lot and then we were kind of missing that so it was back in the day like we're like okay let's try streaming but on twitch the latency was awful it was like 30 seconds back then like you can't, you can't do this and then beam was a thing and then that became Mixer. And that was, like, sub-second latency, which was perfect. And so that ended up... That was how it started. I just wanted to stream some games to my brother back in New Zealand. <laughs> and then other people just joined. And I'll, at at first, I was, like, I was very nervous about it. I was, I'm like, oh, my God, all these randoms are going to judge me for how <laughs> bad I'm gaming. <laughs> and then after all, I just stopped caring. <laughs> now, I just, now it's fine. And then it's just you know, I've been performing all my life doing various things so just the performance aspect of streaming was a lot of fun for me and and yeah now now it's just uh, and so, some friends of mine were invested in watching me play through Persona 5 and so that's how that got started and yeah it's, like it's just been it's fun to just play some games and chat with people now so yeah it's good
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah i love i love how organic that took place that's yeah.
1: great. It was funky, but now now my brother doesn't tune into my screens anymore. Oh, oh, the betrayal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I started doing nonsense, like singing randomly, and he's like, okay, I'm not here for this. I don't want to watch this. But But sometimes, (laughs) yeah. All right, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say that was one of the first things I remember about your stream because back when I was on Mixer, I used to stream pretty late and I just happened to be browsing Who Was Live and I saw you, you were doing like Disney covers and I was like, oh man, this person's (laughs) fantastic. Like it was at the center of like my interest in streaming and also my love of Disney songs and it was like, oh, and so I hopped in and got to hang out and meet you.
1: Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Now I'm a little more nervous about doing that on Twitch because you know the DMCA. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> They've cracked Twitch, down.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Twitch Twitch sings was the thing I was on for a long time, and then that got sunsetted, which was sad. Uh, but now I don't do so much singing on stream. But I'm thinking about maybe I could bring it back. Maybe, maybe because I have like such little following and little. Visibility—it won't tempt the DMCA gods, but I—I I don't know. We'll have to. <laughs> it might be might be something to try sometime. It's—it's it, yeah. It's so it's something I'm thinking about revisiting. But that was a thing that I used to do a lot on Mixer, a mm-hmm. lot.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, speaking of the singing side of your creative endeavors, you do have a video of you called the Desk Duets, where it is you covering a Hamilton song, and I got a chance to watch that today. So if anybody, oh no, if <laughs> Anybody is interested in hearing your performance, you should definitely check it out because it is fantastic. So yeah,
1: that that wasn't the only one. I did a whole bunch of a few others. It was something I did live on stream, actually. Half of the duet was pre-recorded and half I'd sing with it live. So I had a few other songs as well. But like the Hamilton one is like my Magnum opus. It's like <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot going on in it. And so I figured because of that, I'd put it on YouTube. And that's like the only one that's on YouTube at the moment. There are a few others. It started with Love is an open door from Frozen.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I just I did a few others as well. But but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's cringe it's a little cringy looking at it now, but it was also a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, no,
2: I know. I I can imagine some people that just hit pause on our on this episode and just took off to YouTube to go through these <laughs>
1: Hamilton
0: Of course all links will be in the show notes as well. For oh, access. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. If you want to keep up with more of slushy's work, make sure you're following them on Twitch and Twitter at The Slushy with double E's in both words. And of course, like we said, you can find their YouTube channel in the show notes as well. If you downloaded this episode, though, you know we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 5 of Moon Knight, titled Asylum. The way we're going to do this is we're going to have some pre-spoiler thoughts, which is a way for us to discuss the episode without getting into spoilers before you hear an audio cue, which will take us into the spoiler zone. So before we get there, Slushy, do you have any pre-spoiler thoughts for this episode?
1: It was a doozy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's probably, like, there's so much character and world building in this episode. And I think it's probably my favorite of the show so far, because it it goes into so much.
0: Yeah, it is doozy I think is the best way of putting it because I, I was telling oh, you a little yeah. bit before we recorded I watched it and I immediately texted Jude and I was like oh no this is <laughs> this might be a heavy episode this yeah. week but uh I, I'm so glad that it's It exists. Like it is, it made me feel things that I was not expecting from Marvel. Like I know they've gone to some pretty emotional places, but this felt like entirely new ground. And I think it all rests on the performance of Oscar Isaac in this episode.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, This, this is immediately my favorite episode and probably not just this series, but probably at the Disney plus shows. This is a standalone episode. The feelings I remember having, well the the Daredevil uh Netflix Daredevil, the 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 Wilson Fisk episode where you got to see his history um I remember having those similar feelings of how intense that was and heartbreaking at the same time uh, so yeah it's it is I wasn't expecting to to get that kind of an emotional ride yeah when it hits when it hits this uh, hit play
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Actually, I was thinking it might have been the darkest that the MCU has gotten, but then I forgot about Daredevil. But I'm like, (laughs) I guess it's kind of MCU adjacent. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's fair.
2: (laughs) You know,
0: when we we started this podcast covering Daredevil, and we always referred to the MCU as MCU Prime, and I think, was it MCU adjacent as well? So you're spot on with this podcast.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Uh, before we, like, I I don't know if we want to, before we get into it, I was wondering, the thought just occurred to me, do you think we'll need some, like, trigger warnings for some of the, like...
0: I think that's a good call, for sure, because Mm -hmm. if, if you are listening to this episode, there is a fairly good chance that you have seen the episode of Moon Knight, so you do know what to expect, but... If you haven't, and you have stumbled into this episode, there will be discussions of abuse, of mental breakdowns, uh, very, very heavy topics in terms of neglect. I guess that's a great way to put it without getting into too many details. So that is something to be aware of before going any further. So thank you for that, Slushy. I think that was definitely a good heads up. So yeah, like we said, you're going to hear an audio cue, and on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So we've got three most important topics for you this week, and we're going to have sense and nonsense, the point of view, and the gates of Osiris. Starting with the first one, this is going to give us a section to detail the conversations that both Mark and Steven have with Dr. Harrow as we are coming to terms with what is reality and what are all within Mark's head. So, slushy, starting with you, is there any particular area you'd like to start in?
1: I'm wondering uh I I'd like to get what what you think about in the in terms of like Reality, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the real one. Uh, so I'm thinking that the Dr. Harrow one, the little s- psychology session that he's having, is kind of, it- it's sort of like the thoughts of a dying brain.
0: Mm-hmm, yes. That's almost word for word yeah. how I said it yesterday, oh. <laughs> yesterday, last episode.
1: <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the reality with Tourette, that's like the real purgatory in between the living and the afterlife i i I guess those are the two two different things Mm -hmm. but then but then like it 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 was really weird because it also seemed that like the harrow one like it could be the real one and then all the fantastical adventures that steven and mark have been on might be the fantasy it it was Mm -hmm. it was it was it it, it had me questioning some things (laughs)
2: Yeah. The the way it bounced back and forth, it made it really hard to tell. I guess until the very end. And that's assuming we interpret the (laughs) (laughs) incorrectly. Well, I mean,
0: unfortunately, we live in a psychic world, so it's up to interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) I think to weigh in here, if you would have asked me last week, I would have said without a doubt the quote-unquote real world is the fantastical. I think that would be a great way to differentiate between the stuff that's going on in in Egypt, uh, where we last left Mark being shot, versus the counseling session with Dr. Harrow. This week, I honestly don't know. I think structurally what I like about this episode, because there's a line that Harrow has where he says you're doing everything and everything not to look within. And the reason I like that epi- that line so much is because it embodies what I love so much about storytelling, or at least stories where characters are confronted with an outside world that is so bizarre, they are forced to reckon with the inside problem so that they can reconcile that and face the outside world. I know that's a very broad summation. Uh, It's something community does in spades where they get really weird with their school setting, but it often has an emotional core. The thing that feels different about Moon Knight is the metaphors can go both ways depending on where the pendulum finally swings. The metaphor Mm -hmm. could be that the therapy session is potentially Harro's manifestation of trying to get something out of Mark, or it could be, as you put it, slushy the thoughts of a dying man. So t- all that talk to say, I don't know. It feels like I'm comping out, but I, I was a little bit more <laughs> lost in this episode than I was last time. Jude.
2: Well, I was just, I, just thinking about the idea of thoughts of a dying man. It, it kind of makes me wonder if those, um, scenes with harrow if i if i put it in that context then is that i don't know if it's like him clinging to life still and the other one like accepting the reality of being dead you know and and Mm -hmm. maybe that's the back and forth um there's elements though that i thought okay if i'm going to accept that they're that this is uh he's dead right and all of this is because he's dead there was elements like when the first time Stephen met Harrow there was a connection between them right this kind of like i know what you're going through remember his conscience saying i'm the fist of engine or or whatever right um and because he had a similar experience and even though we know like okay you're manipulating Stephen, but there there was some um empathy that the, that he used in order to to manipulate him and and so it makes sense that you, he would be the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this moment and playing that role and trying to work this out.
1: I guess one thing that I was thinking about that sort of might give us a clue as to which is the real thing is that uh, Taurat mentions the ancestral, pe- ancestral plane. Ah.
3: So mm-hmm.
1: it's like, okay, this is our very first reference to anything else in the MCU. Yes. So it's like, okay, and there's no chance that Mark and Steven, Mark and St- would know what that is. So, right. but uh, that, that's a pretty tenuous connection because ancestral playing could mean a lot of things, maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something though, because that was a, a point of discussion last week where I asked Jude and our guest Leech whether or not the 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 reason everything up until this point has been so standalone is because they wanted to hammer home that feeling of not being able to tell what's real. But once you start making broader connections to the tapestry of the MCU, because this is a thing that's going to keep going, you almost have to believe that that is the real world. So I think that's a very good catch on your part.
2: Well, and plus it's, it's an afterlife Mm. as well. Mm. It's not, um, or a spiritual realm, maybe, um, you know, so in in that sense, it, it's definitely a. It's not like it's a. A reference to the snap, right? Something that might be common knowledge, or in this in the news, or something like that. Mm.
0: I think that's a credit to the writing as well, because we we talk about this all the time, Jude. That good, like, whenever you watch these superhero stories you know the superhero is going to win, but good writing is making you believe that they can fail. And so the fact that they've gotten to this point in the fifth episode of the season, and even though we know logically it's going to continue, we still have that teetering belief of whether or not it is. And then just to highlight something I loved in particular that opening shot when Haro's speaking to Mark and he's talking about the vacillation between sense and nonsense, the way they timed the cuts to the ticking of the metronome to continuously throw you off and show you different perspectives of Mark, which just great film work on this episode's part.
1: Oh, that's a nice catch.
0: So eventually we do get to the point where later on in the episode, there's a moment where Steven is confronting Mark about, we need to do this. If we don't get out of here, all the death that Haro brings will be on you. And he was placing that guilt on Mark, and that was what finally had Mark break and bring Steven out into the quote-unquote, I was going to say real world, but the therapy session, just for for clarity of this discussion. How did you feel about Steven speaking to Haro, at least in that moment, Slushy?
1: Oh, man. That was... It it was like wild the way that Haro, because I mean it's it's clear that they've spoken to each other before, and then he also said that Stephen was the one that brought them here, and it's it was it was so bizarre, and you just see just how completely separate those identities are from each other. That that's what kind of made me start to question whether that was maybe the real one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but then. It's almost like he had a bit of a gentleness when talking to Stephen, but then then the call out with the mum though. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh man, that and was getting heavy. him
1: to admit that. Oh my god.
2: That, I, I'll be honest. That was that was really powerful for me, because expectations wise, and maybe I guess that's where I was like still. Yeah, I, I guess now that I think about it, I was probably still on the fence of what was real and what wasn't because I had bought in. His mom had passed. Um, but for some reason, I was expecting to hear a voice. You know, and and so for Steven to have that realization, that was really painful because I, I I felt it. I saw, you know, because again, I'm like, oh, it's a trick. Like, we're going to hear a voice. Um, uh, but no, like, and I guess that's also that, that moment where I think it kind of convinced me that all of this is truly like part of the afterlife.
0: Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that stood out to me, and I, I feel like I've been writing Haro pretty hard this season. So it was, it was almost pain, like painful for me to have to admit this. There feels like there's almost genuine, not excitement, but relief that Mark and Steven in in both instances are having breakthroughs. Like Haro's co- coaching those like, oh, you did it. I didn't think I'd ever get to speak to you again. I guess Mark finally confronted you. Like he was guiding him through. And there is the, the part of me that wants to read it like, okay, this is somehow some sort of manipulation. But if this is in fact real, the episode still imbued that powerfulness of Mark and Stephen having that moment together, because regardless of what's true, the fact that they were able to face truth is powerful. And so I thought that was special about this, this section of sense and nonsense at the beginning.
1: Yeah. Like just Dr. Harrow, like he, he felt so genuine in like wanting like, he wanted Mark and Steven to have peace. Like it felt, it didn't feel like there was some malicious intent, and that that was that really threw me.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man. Man, there, there's so many, and that that's the thing. With one episode left, there's so many questions. Uh, oh, oh, there's only one episode left. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know, nice. right? Like, because part of me was wondering, is like, okay, so is this are we seeing Harrow's body on a doctor that they actually saw at one point in their life? You know, and that, and that's kind of maybe where the disconnect comes from with us of like, no, this is Harrow. This is, this is bad, but but you get that feeling sorry for him and actually genuinely wanted to help. So it, it's, um, with one episode left, I, I don't think we're going to get that kind of mm-hmm. reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, F- yeah, like God one. Okay.
0: The finale could be 2 hours and it's yeah. would
2: not
1: feel <laughs> like it's enough. Have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not enough. Oh man. So yeah, it's I, still Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I have a question. Okay. Um so Taurat mentioned that the after the Duat is modeled on like it's it's takes the form of something that the person like the human brain under- understands better. Mm-hmm. And like they and Mark and Steven pictured a psych ward. Um, But like, we haven't really seen any indication that he's been to therapy, although he probably has with like what, what he's been through. But like, why do you think like, how come it took that form?
2: My guess is going to be, and with sprinkled in some speculation and some hopeful thinking, wishful thinking, Um, because they've teased so much about a third personality, Mm. and if it's what everybody believes it to be, then I can imagine that person or that identity have spent time in a psych ward.
1: Do we okay? Do we want to get into the different personalities and where we land on them, or should we?
0: as far as the what the potential third identity might be
1: or like or just like theories on it cuz i okay i don't know if this is more of a thing for the next section but um i yeah i just want to like i don't know just just ask if if, if it's okay to talk about that now
2: <laughs> sure go for it go ahead
1: okay okay well it seemed to me that this episode confirmed that there is no third personality
2: oh well, okay
0: I'd like to hear this.
1: <laughs> yeah, because like
2: I'm, I'm kind of in the, I will see the third personality in season two.
1: Interesting. <laughs> well, cause m- well, my thinking was based purely on the scales mm-hmm. and how That's fair. there is only, so Taurat pulls out two hearts and when Steven dies, <laughs> the scales balance. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's complete now and like his heart is complete. And so, there can't be, at least, it feels like, it it feels like it also is sort of contradictory to what we've seen in past episodes as well. Uh, Because it seemed like there were instances where neither of them were aware of what the body was doing. But, like, at least in this, in that episode, like, with, with the scales balancing, it, it seems like, I don't think there's an, it seems like it's saying that there's no third person, personality.
2: Right.
0: I think that's a very interesting read because everybody, I think, has been running away because, like you said, they have hinted at it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't interpret it that way. With the scales as it being a, a hard confirmation that okay, there, there's just these two. It would be very interesting to see how that plays out.
2: Mm-hmm. So I I do remember having a similar feeling, right? Like. Oh, this isn't going to balance. Here's where we're going to see the third personality, right? And that's what they had to do was unlock it. And so there was an element of a similar feeling, where I where I'm still holding on to that third personality. Is my thought is because neither one of them know, right? Because it was Stephen. What'd you do? I didn't do this. So because so since Mark thought it was Stephen, and Stephen's like it's not me. Neither one of them knew of that third personality. So there's nothing there for them to balance in a a third personality. And so that's where I'm still hanging on to that because I took it as Mark clearly knew about Steven to, to hide from the, from the trauma and to do, and, and my thought is like, okay, so to do the things that Mark was able to do, as a mercenary remembering all of them, like the, the stuff he did for Moon, uh, for Kanshu, that was probably where that other identity spawned, gave birth, you, you know, originated and Mark might not even mm-hmm. be aware of it. Or I don't think he is. So that, that's where I would say uh, why, for me, why it'd be able to be balanced um because that's the only way I can I can reconcile like how you you drop those hints, but not give us that.
0: As much as this season has been respectful in treating these identities mm-hmm. as complete identities, as as not just being like, oh, this person's crazy. They've distinguished the differences between these. It makes sense that because neither one of them know of the third that what you're saying jude i think that that really tracks for what they're going with here i do want to circle back to your question slushy because you were talking about why the psych ward and a lot of the talk at least from mark's perspective is especially at the beginning when they're Mm -hmm. talking to the hippo again Oh, I'm crazy. I'm insane. This, you know, talking hippo, talking dead bird. He's just completely dismissive of, dismisses of the reality. And once he realizes <laughs> like, Oh, no, this is the underworld, the afterworld. He's like, I'm not crazy. I'm dead. So he has this firm belief that he is insane Mm -hmm. like that is the only rationale that he's had so i think it would make sense to him (laughs) to be in a psych ward so that that is why it manifests around the uh Mm -hmm. the afterlife
2: yeah and i love the visuals too because like so like one of the things um well the semester uh teaching the in religious dialogue class one of the things that i always try to bring up is the common visuals or iconography that we use in media that help uh, give us a shorthand to particular religious beliefs, uh, but that it can also perpetuate negative stereotypes in that, in that shorthand. And I mean, you want to put a, a, a visual shorthand of what a psych ward looks like. I mean that's the all white, the tile, those type of doors, the little windows. Um you know, immediately we're we're right there. Insanity. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is crazy. It helps us, I think, at the end of that other episode buy in to questioning whether or not it's real. Um and and so so I love so not just that, but even just the, the the way they were able to take that and uh, visually
0: sink us into that. Yeah. But what about you, Slushy? Did you have any ideas on why a psych ward?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the, the reason I was thinking was that it probably does look familiar to him, but I think I am leaning more towards that he thinks, like, this is wh- what yeah. he thinks of himself.
0: Yeah, that, that reflective ideology fits yeah. in with the themes.
1: Mm. Hmm. And there's just all these hidden rooms and hidden parts of himself. It seems like he, mm-hmm. well, compartmentalizes <laughs> yeah. a lot.
0: Oh, man. On that note, I think we might be able to move into the next most important topic, the point of view. This is going to detail all the traumatic events that we discover about Mark and Stephen. So the revelation of... Mark being there when his brother passed away, uh, the abuse that follows from his mother as she is not able to reconcile what has happened and takes out on Mark, uh, the becoming of Moon Knight, and the inability to visit his mother's funeral later on. Uh, Jude, throwing a very hard ball to you this week, where would you like to start in this section? (laughs)
2: Um, so here's where I'm going to start. I, my wife watched the first two episodes with us or with, you know, with me and she's like, ah, I'm not really sure I like this show and hasn't watched it again. And I'm like, you got to stick with it. It's so good. And especially after the end of episode four and Mm -hmm. I get to work early on Wednesday. It's a day where my first class doesn't start till the afternoon. So the first thing I I do is like, I'm going to eat my breakfast and just watch the episode. Right. I'm watching it and I started immediately it's like, Oh my gosh, this is so good. You, you gotta watch this. you got to watch this. And then those scenes came up and then I'm like, I'm starting to wheel that back in. I was like, okay, maybe not. I, I get it. This might, this not might, <laughs> this might not be for you. It's okay. Oh boy. <laughs> and like, and like I'm immediately wheeling that back. Cause it is, it is a tough watch, you know? Um, you know, I, people give me a hard time for it and and jokingly sometimes in series sometimes because I've not watched the Joker yet. Uh, And I'm just, I'm nervous about watching the Joker because of how mental health is portrayed. And and like I said, so I didn't want to see it in the theater. Um, You know, I wanted to see it in a place where I could hit pause if if need be and, and those things. And, and this, I don't know. It, it really like you could see it coming and you knew it was coming and, and And just the way the way they did it, they were able to really do a good job of telling his childhood and building up this sympathy i guess and and this way to explain the, the level of trauma that we, that would cause d. i. d A result in I don't know if cause would be the the right the right word, but 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 just do it in such a way that there was so much suspense of like I knew I knew something bad was coming I knew something bad was coming, Um, and you were just waiting for it to happen you know and in doing that it, it go back to this whole show they've done a good job of. Giving us violent thoughts and images without actually having to go super violent in the visuals, you know, in the, in in the way they put the story together and they shoot it, and it's you know, because uh, you really feel it. Yeah, I think
0: what we're dealing with here is Mark is confronting his mother, and Stephen, who was born because of the, or originated, I think that's a better way to put it, who was originated because the reality was so harsh, Mark physically couldn't process it, and Steven was the stand-in, and now he's here within this examination of the traumas, finding out the truth, and having us learn with Steven is the most heartbreaking way I think they could have done it, and the way that it is handled most delicately. it's hard like i i i wanted to text you or do like so much of my notes is just this is hard and i didn't know how i was going to be able to discuss it but how did you feel about that dynamic of steven being the one to learn with us about his brother drowning in that cave slushy
1: oh man (laughs) it was it was actually really interesting that um Mark was so protective of Stephen. You can tell that even though Mark knew that Stephen was essentially his his creation, he still saw him Man. as like a full person, and he wanted to spare Stephen the the pain of knowing that he wasn't real, <laughs> and well, not not re- not not real, but, but you know what I mean. But like it's like, and oh, God, it's, I thought it was, it was a, it was a good decision. It was an, like a great story decision that we found out and felt we could feel Stephen's pain. It was, there was always a sort of ambiguity. I think I was, I always, I kind of knew that I had a feeling that Mark was, you know, the dominant personality. I, I, yeah, I didn't realize n- learning just how long that, like, I mean, Steven's been with him for like basically his whole life. So like, I didn't, I didn't know that it went back that far. And it was, that was, that was a, that was a a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was, it was very, oh oh God, that was hard. Just, just watching him find out and just all that existential dread (laughs) of I'm not real. (laughs) Oh God.
0: Him having to face that realization of you made me like, Oh, man. And and I'm so glad you highlighted the fact that Mark is defensive of Stephen because there's something so fascinating that Stephen originated be- to protect Mark. And now that they're older, mm-hmm. it is Mark that is having to protect Stephen. But it's, it's almost because he didn't think he could handle that truth. And so the fact that Stephen has that growth in this episode to the point where he's compassionately telling Mark you were just a kid it's not your fault that i think is what had me in tears the most because it is the almost extreme depiction of that self-compassion with them too and the fact that we see that growth from the beginning because all of that's new to us we I, at least for me i didn't know mm-hmm. about any of the traumatic history with his brother with his mom and mm-hmm. the fact that they're oh yeah i didn't yeah, know that the idea. fact that they're able to set that up and weave that story in what 52 minutes i forgot to check the runtime on this one it's just outstanding Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and i like uh again hey, the efficient storytelling to be able to do that was Mm -hmm. so so well done and even holding our hand to get there from the very beginning of getting us used to um the the bouncing back and forth between the two of them and and what it's like to have a Stephen point of view versus a, a Mark POV, and so they're able to jump back and forth really quick, and we're familiar, you know. So so they really kind of held us ha- held our hand after that episode, and, and being able to do that. But I, I just loved how what what you get to see is is Mark, like the the guilt. <clears throat> Well, the way I thought of it is the the, the guilt Mark has, and never it, it seems like could could deal with it or let go, because uh, his mom wouldn't let him, because that's where her uh, guilt, you know, and and I mean it's a very human thing to to. to look for something to blame for look for a reason or look for, for it is your fault and, and something we can direct those feelings at. Um, and, and, and so like, I felt so, cause you see it, you know, we, or we see it a lot of times in media where, where they use that what breaks apart of marriage is, is going to be the loss of a child, you know? And I don't ever remember seeing it before where it's like, the, directed at their own kid um, but it's it's very understandable um and and then that sense of mark wanting i say he's he's protecting Stephen, but he's still protecting himself like that that's it's that that Stephen identity comes out of sense of trying to recreate or gain back this childlike innocence. I mean, if you think about the the way Mark acted and interacted with people and it was just so, just not naive, but just so full of that childlike wonder kind of thing. Oh, look how awesome this is. And you think this is cool, a little kid and able to connect with, and Trey brought that up, able to connect with that little kid and, the, you know, redirect to other things. And yeah, Steven. With Steven? And, and so And so Mark say, you know, it, it's like, that's what he's protecting, right? Like I don't, I don't want to, to lose that a, a, again, you know? Um, and I, and I know what that likes and what that's like and that hurt. And so, so yeah. So it's interesting, not just that, that, that protection, but like it's protecting Steven, but also a realization of protecting um, myself, you know, um, mm-hmm. or himself. So yeah, it's, and in in the moment, he, he, you know what really blows my mind? I'm wondering what that was like. Cause Oscar Isaac did such a good job with the acting and with his brother being the stand-in imagine like being on the other side of your brother and seeing that, that emotion being oh. acted out of like what happened, you know, of like uh, of reconciling that, that abuse and the loss of, of a sibling. And like, he's acting that out to his own brother. Oh, like, I can't imagine what that would be like to, to, to experience that as well, because it was so well done.
1: Oh yeah, Oscar Isaac was incredible, and and actually, yeah, with a stand and being his brother, that that kind of adds another layer to what I can only imagine what was going through his mind.
0: <laughs> this episode was sad enough. I ne- I didn't think about it from that perspective. <laughs> that is just another layer of toughness. Wow, you just you just. Uh... To borrow a line from the episode, you just baked my noodle with that one. <laughs> 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 oh man. Well, you know, I you use the word of Mark's guilt. Uh I think that can really get us into one of the other standout moments in this section where we see the revelation that Mark was there when Layla's father was murdered, and we saw him crawling covered in blood to the statue of Khonshu. Slushy, what were you thinking during that scene as we finally got to see how he became the Moon Knight?
1: I mean, he had gone there. He tried to kill himself, but Khonshu stopped him. Steven kind of calls it out as well. He's (laughs) like, he was manipulating you. You're at a very low point. But it was interesting that after all that, like there were feelings... I guess he was also taking advantage of, I guess, rage and anger at being betrayed. Cause in Conchu, kind of like, you can, you can, you can, you can come and kill all these other people <laughs> that deserve to die. Do you want that power and do you choose life? And he keeps asking him and made Mark choose life. It was taking advantage of all the crazy emotions he was feeling at that one moment. I don't know if he would have, if he was not under duress. Would he have chosen to go with Moon Knight? I don't know. Like that that that's a I think that's a little questionable if, if it were different circumstances. Uh but it it was like just just, just can't you being
0: like, ah, oh, <laughs> I have this
3: opportunity now.
0: Do I have a deal <laughs> for you? <laughs> yeah. I think manipulative is a great way to put it because there's a sense of regret, I think, in Mark's words because early on in the episode, where're in the cafe where they're in the cafeteria and you see the corpses. and Stephen puts it together that these are the people mm-hmm. that Mark has murdered. he Mark specifically mentions this is what Kanchu meant when he said protecting the travelers of the night. And so to have that repeated in the moment where he is at the altar of the statue and Conchu's offering to provide protection, is kind of burying the lead there instead of leading with like, I'm going to have you deal out justice. Yep. No, I'm going to have you protect the travelers of the night. That sounds so much more noble, so much more... I don't want to... It's. I'm being careful here. I don't want to just say worth living for, but if Mark is truly at the end of wanting to live and he can find this sense of purpose and the offer that Conchu has given him, Conchu's not being... Honest in that moment, whatsoever.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, huh? Okay, I'm just gonna throw a wrinkle in here and say, oh yeah, go
1: for it, and, I, and, I, and I'm
2: gonna stand up for Conchue.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've got Conchue's advocate over here. Or,
2: or the next well, moon night, Jude <laughs> <your> right. night.
1: <laughs> uh <laughs>
2: Now, are we sure that that's an accurate memory? Oh, because, hmm. because, well, because part of it, right, is like <laughs> part of, I mean, Stephen's the one pointing out you're being manipulated. Hmm. Um, and one of the memories and what he talked about was, was seeing and remembering, because remember this is before we found out what happened with this younger brother. And he says, "You know, is this all the people you killed?" He's like, "Yeah, I, I remember all of them, but that was before we knew about the what happened with his little brother, the guilt that he had and believing it was his fault, and having that reinforced um and in that sense the that this you know Um, psychology-wise, right? This core belief, I'm a bad person, I'm a killer. And so, so yeah, it's, on the surface, it is Khonshu manipulating that. Um, But, if this is him and remembering his memories, right? And if that core belief from a very young age is I'm a bad person and I'm a killer, Mm -hmm. Um.
1: I don't know. Maybe might not be accurate. I mean, yeah. Oh, no. Go ahead. I think. Oh, I mean, no. Go ahead. I was gonna let's say we do have an unreliable narrator. So We've got that going on over here. So, and we know how malleable memories are. So, you that is, you do you do have a point. It could it could things could have played out differently. Um, I, I don't know about like, cause. So he was dying, and then Konchu kind of saved him, at like because mm-hmm. he was on the brink. Well, it, I guess he he might have died. He probably, I mean, he probably would have bled out if he can just just left it. But he he did he did want to make the conscious choice to 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 kill himself. Then, um. It's yeah, I, I don't know if that yeah it's 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 an interesting thought. um I, I, now I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> that seems very fitting for the way this episode vacillates between sense and nonsense <laughs> but i I think you won me over, Jude. I really do because you reminded me let me rephrase this. you've won me over on the potential of this being an unreliable mm. memory because. All of this is within the framework of the the mm-hmm. psych ward and Mark's memories and the potential that this is either a psychosis or the afterworld. And in it, for that reason, whenever they are in the cafeteria and you see all those corpses and Mark is detailing how he remembers every one of them, he's talking about this guilt that he has for being a killer. I remember specifically when I saw that little boy, yeah. I was like, no. It can't possibly be that he killed the kid for whatever conscious justice he had. But at that point, we don't know the story yet. So whenever the boy starts moving, it's like, okay, this is something different. Memories are starting mm-hmm. to bleed over. So I was assuaged yeah. of that feeling. But then they put us into the scene where we realize Mark, in a way, is responsible for the death of that little boy, just not the way we thought And so it is that sense of I'm a killer. I'm a killer being reinforced over and over again. So if memories like that are bleeding into one another, I can see how it is very possible that the Kanshu moment isn't exactly what happened as a one for one.
2: Yeah. I'll be honest there with the little kid. I was expecting that was the reveal of the third. I didn't. Mm.
0: Whoa. That like the third, like the little boy was the violent... <laughs>
2: uh, oh boy. Well, not that there was the little... necessarily was a little boy, but like, oh, would Mark do that? Mm-hmm. Gotcha, right? gotcha, but gotcha. <laughs> no, the... The third identity mm. was... Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Like, I was so bought into the third identity, like, I didn't think the... And I was like... I, I, at, at one point, I didn't... I was... Didn't want to watch, because in my head, I'm like he's about to kill his own brother, like mm-hmm. intentionally. Like I was thinking, cause I kept oh, waiting for that third identity to show up, you, you know, but the whole thing with Steven, it was like, Oh, okay, this is an accident, you know, uh, which doesn't make it any less horrific, but it was just like this, that anticipation of that third identity. It was like, like, I can't believe they're about to do this.
1: So about the third identity, I think before the end of the episode with the scales is when I, when I thought, okay, there isn't a one, but in that con in that uh the expedition memory with all the dead bodies and how Marcus he kept mentioning he was working with his ceo it's like some unknown third person that we never ever see and i thought the reveal was that the third it was him that murdered everybody but Mm -hmm. like we we still don't see that like we see him dying so clearly he was attacked by some something or someone um Mm -hmm. But I th- I thought that that was the moment we were gonna see that there was gonna be a third personality, but the, but yeah. th- they didn't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm on the same page with you, Slushy, because v- is it, it was the previous episode where Layla finally confronts Mark, and he was like, "Of mm-hmm. course I didn't kill him. It was my I don't think he said friend, but His just CEO, like the yeah. that mm-hmm. he was working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I." I kept going, okay, this can't be the case because clearly Mark is super injured. So he was fighting against somebody, but it is very well possible that he was in that third personality and it was the people defending themselves that left him wounded. And once Mark came to, that is what pushed him towards not being able to live with himself Mm -hmm. anymore. Uh Uh-huh. Until mm-hmm. Konshu intervenes, so there's still <laughs> there's still some possibility for that oh, to become true.
1: it could definitely play out that way. I feel like because this being the penultimate episode, this would have been the time to reveal that. I don't know if mm-hmm. saving that for the final episode feels like there's already so much ground to cover with like Amit and everything. If if they do do it, that that'd be that'd be really impressive and. God damn, for Layla. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you bringing up Layla is why I hope we're wrong. Because with only one episode left, I don't know how they thread that needle where it's, oh, yes, there was this third identity that is responsible for the murder of that camp. And it is not entirely... I'll go out on this limb abusive that Mark stayed with her and he kept that from her. So I don't, I don't think that's where they're going to go with it, but who knows? I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways this can go in that mm-hmm. finale.
2: Man. Okay. Well, cause I mean, we've talked about it before. Um, finales are so hard to land. Mm-hmm. And this episode was yeah. so good It's coming off of the, emotional roller coaster of this episode is I I, I know definitely I want to make sure that I try to get myself in a headspace and put it this way to where I'm just gonna enjoy the last episode and try to get rid of any expectations or I hope they answer this or hope they answer that because it's gonna be so hard to land this one.
0: You know, especially when you're talking about like, oh this is the penultimate episode, it would be a little too late to introduce this or that I can't help but flashback to when we were covering Loki and it was the fifth episode and Jude and I were just like, Yeah, there's no way that they'll introduce <laughs> Kang or, he, or at the time. He who, yeah. he who remains like, there's not enough time. There's no way. And then the final episode came out and it ended up being one of my favorite episodes. You do of the have year. a good point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they just threw in Kang at the last in the last episode and no one saw yep. it coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So Of course, Loki would be the exception. (laughs) Oh, man. I think we've got at least one more major traumatic story section to focus in on. And I think it is the way they walked us through the origination Mm -hmm. of Steven. Because it starts with young Mark being in the room and we see his mother's beating on the door. And that takes us all the way through the moment where we see an adult Mark couldn't make it to the funeral. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> Jude. That was you know, tears, yeah. man. Tears.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. Sushi. <laughs> what, what were you feeling oh, <laughs> through God. that section?
1: Because like, they, they tease the moment where he's by the car earlier. And then Stephen's like, I don't remember that, and he's like, eh, Don't don't worry about it. I was just standing on the street. Don't don't worry. Uh-huh. We're
0: gonna go through all my memories. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> just around uh. the street, but then but then you come back to that, and you're like, Oh no, he like, because I can only imagine just how complicated his feelings towards his mother is, because she is his mother, and he obviously he he does love her, but just oh god, having all that trauma, all having to endure all that abuse for such a long time. He he was like maybe what twelve, and then he left home, and he was like a teenager, and he that that's a long time to just keep enduring all that physical and emotional abuse. And I can just like, I don't even know how you'd feel when someone who you love and relied upon from such a young age hurts you, and and then when they die, like, I feel like it's hard to separate, s- separate, like, the feelings of love and pain. And I can, I can completely understand why he didn't want to go in and, like, be part of the funeral. But the fact that he showed up, it's, it's like, he does care on some mm-hmm. level. But, oh, just, just, ah, oh. And then that was yeah. the moment that, um, Stephen and Mark's like reality started blurring, was yeah, yeah, a lot of pain to go through. Yeah, we've,
2: yeah,
0: we finally got the confirmation that that is where their lives started to bleed in. This is almost the start of where Mm -hmm. the show takes place and where we're starting to see why Stephen got such a foothold. Which, and, and this isn't like I'm not knocking the episode because obviously it's super powerful, but how dare they put me through that emotional moment and then Steven pops up and he goes what and he's just like looking around like he immediately switches into like what's going on and it's hard. it's both heartbreaking but also like the- it's Oscar Isaac I mean I-, I that is his performance that he just flipped on the dime yeah. in the moment the camera doesn't break the identity switched right before our eyes. And so even though that I was still in that moment, but it was completely gone from him was just masterful in, in her performance.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and something else I realized in, and, and I didn't put it together until, you know, listening to a uh, slushy talk. It was with uh, Layla earlier when Steven said, this is my mom's flat. And she said, oh, I didn't know y'all were talking, which let us, you know, had no idea that she had passed. And at that point, that's after her funeral. So he didn't say much about home life at all, Um, at all at all, like that was so distant and so separated. Um, And it gives you also a hint, a certain level that Mark did open up. You know, we don't know to what degree, but enough to to say that like mom and I are on the outs, you know, or or something like that. But acknowledgement, it wasn't like oh, I don't have a mom dead, or you know, it was like mm-hmm. that was really interesting to, to kind of have that revelation and put that timeline together. And honestly, for me, it's it seems weird. I felt for his dad throughout this whole thing, um, and and I think I, being married, having kids. And I, I think that's probably what put me in that, in that headspace. But to see that of like, you know, this whole trying to keep your family together, wanting to be a good spouse and take care of your wife and acknowledge her pain and feelings and that are legitimate, you know, in, in terms of not the abuse, but, but like having such, um, a traumatic response to something like that. Uh, but also trying to be a good dad and you have uh, your, your son who you want to, to still have as normal life as possible, you know, and, and and you're, you're, you're stuck between your spouse, who you love and made a commitment to and your own child who you love and want to, protect and, and raise right. And, and he's stuck in the middle and even at the funeral, right? He's at his wife's funeral, but he's still, you know, it's like this respect for Mark. He, he didn't go out there and try to talk him into coming in, but he, he, he offered the invitation, like the invitation was always there. And so, yeah, so it that was really difficult to kind of go through it through his eyes.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad that you highlighted that because there's tremendous work on the father's part to try and create that sense of normalcy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the scenes with mm-hmm. the birthday where he was like, well, mom's not feeling well. She can't make it. And and they just have the birthday party on their own. Or when it flash forwards to another one, is like, oh, well, we're going to start with your favorites. And then he steps away for just a moment. And that's when the mom comes in with the mental abuse at that mm-hmm. point. And I'm glad, I'm glad you highlighted the differences up until it becomes... Not that there's justification for the mental abuse, but up until it gets to the point of physical abuse, her reaction is not, I mean, it's understandable Mm -hmm. that that's that's how she would be feeling, that she would want her child back. But once that goes from being a trauma to placing the blame on the other, I think Mm -hmm. that's where it starts to grow. And to the point where Mark throws it at his dad, you were supposed to fix this.
2: Yeah that mm-hmm. it's a story right you're you're gonna write the script in this way and and mm-hmm. wonderful uh talented script writers and directors and actors and that, you know they know how to manipulate mm-hmm. our, our emotions that's what a good director does um and so you could ask the logical questions of like why didn't they go get help why didn't they go get counseling there's marriage counseling the thing is how do I want to put this? You can't assume that they didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's you know, and Trey and I bring it up. You know, we we very much uh, in terms of like wanting to be sensitive about mental health issues and knowing people that struggle with mental health issues and different things of trauma um, and what that's like. Um, and knowing uh, people, the difficulty of finding. A, a good therapist or a couples therapist or, or whatever it is, if that fits, it's not as simple as just, Oh, go do this, you know? Um, so even though you don't see it, I don't think it's a fair assumption just to say, cause they, they give us a, a actually a long period of a number of years mm-hmm. in such a short time that I don't think it's fair to say that, that he didn't try, you know, um, to, to fix it. Uh, if, if that makes sense. Um, You know, and which also means that response on the kids part of like, you're my dad, why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you protect me? And which is a a genuine, understandable, honest response out of, out of Mark. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing the, the layers that they were able to put into this in such a short time.
1: there's a lot of nuance Mm -hmm. here too just because it is it is pretty easy looking at this to just be like oh why didn't the dad do anything yeah or like but but it's like it's never that easy and simple and 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 yeah you can't assume that they didn't get help or they didn't try Mm -hmm. and it's clear that the dad was trying to trying to be you know make some positive memories with, with Mark at least with his birthday and Mm -hmm. like, he's trying to like kind of be like a buffer between um, Mark and his mom. But yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing that I, I was not expecting this in my MCU show (laughs) for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's uh. It was a surprise for sure. I do want to highlight a moment in particular. You guys have have detailed so many wonderful things about this section of the... I don't want to say origination because we know this isn't the the first time. No, I'm sorry. I am talking about the first time. Whenever it's in the bedroom and the mom's beating on the door and we see Mark very afraid and Steven is coming through of like, oh, I need to organize my room or mom's going to be real mad. The way this show has worked with mirrors and reflections for so long built up to the moment where we see a very f- afraid Mark sitting up against his dresser and the focus of the camera pulls to the mirror. And that's when Steven's accent kicks in that it was mm-hmm. a chef's kiss. Like it was just like, they had been building to that moment. They have trained us and educated us that, you knew from the moment they switched the focus that that was, that was it. That was the, that was the, mm-hmm. the birth of Steven. And I just wanted to make sure we highlighted that. Cause I thought mm-hmm. that was really well done.
1: Oh, that's a good catch. Yeah. 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 <sighs> oh God. When he was like, it's not mom. It's not mom. It's not mom. Like trying mm-hmm. to convince himself that yeah. this, this isn't mm-hmm. who she like this. This isn't actually her. Yeah is god that was heartbreaking oh yeah yeah
2: it leads
0: into wanting to learn more about their history because when we first meet them at that barbecue they look like a happy family like everything was cohesive but there's lines that the mother's livers to mark where it's like you were always jealous of them like i wonder what like i want more of that home life but i know that's not the point like we don't we don't need to to have the full details to know how it's gone wrong but it's just even within the 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 limited story time we got here the the fact that it was so economical that it leaves you wanting to learn more about what their life was like before this was just fantastic mm-hmm.
2: yeah well and i'm going to use that uh that scene that the line that Slushy just brought up to reinforce my point I mean, for him, for him to know that and say that over and over, that's not my mom, that's not my mom, that, that realization of like, this isn't truly who she is. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if a young kid would intuitively know that necessarily without some kind of counseling or some kind of attempt at, at grief uh, um, discussions and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, that is for sure a good catch. You know, we we threw around some some references to Daredevil earlier. Uh, I do want to spotlight one more uh, again. Once they're in the cafe, which in my note I just wrote the creepy cafe uh, <laughs> as a shorthand to to organize my notes. But we're in there. You you have Mark detailing how there was a part of him that hoped he would fail, and that these people would be the one to take him out it really reminded me of matt murdock so much because of of similar guilt that they carried and i think there were some essences where you could almost read that matt was hoping that he would fail too uh obviously mark goes a step further because of matt's no kill rule but it 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 really strengthened those connections there so not only is it of the the gut punch of things like examining wilson fisks past and mark's past but it is very much examining what guilt will do to a person and drive them in their actions moving forward.
1: For sure, like, there was an element of self-harm that he's doing there, where he's like, mm-hmm. there is a lot of pain and guilt, even though it is, it is a bit righteous that, you know, is like, oh, you're, you're doing this to people who deserve it, but maybe on some level, he does believe that he deserves to be killed too
3: so
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> well uh this is a very yeah. heavy section <laughs> probably one of the most heavy sections we ever had in the podcast but uh i just wanted to double check make sure there was any any more to say mm-hmm. before moving into the final one
1: um oh go ahead jude you look like you'd want something to say no
2: go ahead i'm okay. taking a big deep breath um,
1: <laughs> oh yeah <gasps> oh i'm just breathing <laughs> um well this is kind of a a bit of a pivot into like more i guess nitpicky things (laughs) but um like
0: (laughs) you're on the right (laughs) podcast
1: (laughs) um well so my wonder is how often did steven come out before um before the funeral because he he does make a uh, Mark makes a point that because of having different identities, it's been hard to to stay in the military, and he he went AWOL. He, he made a passing comment. Turns out going AWOL while in a fugue state gets you kicked out of the military. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like S- Stephen did come out every so often. Then he gets married to Layla, but she had no knowledge of Stephen. It makes me wonder, like, how often... Did the personalities switch, and when would they come out?
2: No, that is that is an interesting thought. Because, like, well, it makes sense that the whole, like, he's in the military and goes AWOL, um, and Steven comes out because, you, you know, the trauma. Like, what, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so... Yeah. I, see... Steven see, already has a penchant for leaving. <laughs> now I'm imagining, like, the the Halo training like that that high altitude low open parachute jumps you know and like (laughs) on the way down like mark switches to steven and he's just free falling and uh (laughs) like like i'm just imagining you know uh stuff like that (laughs) but yeah like it but it's a good point because the further you want to take it down that road then i'm like Oh man, Mark and Layla's marriage was really messed up. If the marriage is what was helping him keep it under control. Like I'm almost imagining now, is Layla kind of like this weird replacement mom. Like I'm getting things out of this that I should have got out of a, a mom. Mm. You, you know what I mean? in, in that, and rather yep. than it actually being a healthy relationship because it keeps Steven at, or yeah, Stephen at bay. Now again, I'm widely speculating and pushing it pushing it really far, but I, I mean, but you're right to like when does Steven pop out? why did he have him under control? If she never knew about him, then that had to have been a a reason that helped Mark you know keep that hidden and under control.
0: You know, I was, whenever you first posed that idea of like, what is the timeline of the identity switches, it made me realize I was going into this with two distinct phases of you have Stephen in the room with his mom, and that was the defense mechanism to handle the reality of the abuse. But there was something about the way the episode is structured to the revelation that Mark cannot admit that his mother is dead to the point that Stephen pops out again and that is what he admits like that was what disrupted you know two months ago and our lives started to bleed together so it made me feel like yes these identities popped out but in that moment that was when the identities had more autonomy Mm. if that makes sense they had more or at least Stephen had longer durations at which he could be at the wheel and is what gave him the opportunities to create that apartment, to take an interest in Egyptian history and, and and gods and, you know, learning hieroglyphs. It's, It was like, and I'm being very careful here because, again, with DID, I, I'm not 100% on this, it felt more like they were desires on Stephen's part that didn't at least come through in the two-second scene of In the Bedroom, where Stephen got freedom for the first time after the revelation of the funeral. But you're 100% correct, and Mark makes a mention about the fugue state and going AWOL, so I, I don't know. I guess my idea of there being, like, two distinct ways those identities take place uh, not being, not holding up to that, at least, history line. So maybe maybe we'll get some more clarity in this sixth episode next week.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't meant like this. It was a passing comment. I don't expect. It. <laughs> I don't expect that they'll they'll be like <laughs> okay. So here was the timeline. This is when Mark was active. This is when Stephen was active. But but I think I think you were right about like I think after the funeral, it felt like well before that Mark was the dominant personality, and then Stephen seemed to uh, like appear in like short like maybe short bursts or something. But then after the funeral, it felt like it switched where Stephen became the dominant personality and Mark would take control every once in a while. That's why Stephen would be like, oh, sometimes I just lose days and I don't know what happened. And then,
3: so it's like, he, he yeah,
1: it seems like he came out way fewer times since, since the funeral. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, what is he? the first thing he does is, like, Mom, you're not going to believe it. It happened again.
1: <laughs> oh, just calls mom all the time. Yeah,
0: I know. Ugh. Well, you know what? With all that being said, I think we can go ahead and move into the final most important topic, which is the gates of Osiris. Uh, specifically wanted to put this one at the end of the episode to give us a little bit more, I don't want to say uplifting, but... It's hard to be too sad when you have a talking hippo. So I think <laughs> being able to speak about uh Taweret would be a great place to start. For me, I love that they gave this this goddess, this this powerful creature the uh, personality of somebody's first day as a flight instructor. <laughs> the fact that she was like so excited and she had her scrolls and she almost forgot about them. So she was like bursting into it and then she centers herself and then she starts <laughs> detailing about the duot and everything that's happening to them. I think it was pitch perfect. The best way to handle the chaos of everything that's happening around these two.
2: <laughs> it, it reminded me a little bit of, um, a kind of a cross between a couple of characters. Um, I, I'm thinking of, the, oh, I don't remember her name and Beetlejuice when, when they first got to the afterlife and that the lady was helping them and, but with, you know, the Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec kind of personality, <laughs> you know, um, it just, it, it was, it was wonderful to do it that way.
0: What did you think when you first saw, well, I know we saw Tar Warrit last episode, but we really got to meet them this this week. How'd you feel about them in this episode, Slusha? Yeah,
1: no, it, it was, I think you hit the nail on the head in that the energy of like, like it's her first day at work and she's like super excited <laughs> that she gets to do something. But the, the, that got me thinking, huh, do people not, is, do people not come to the Duat often? <laughs> like surely people die all the time. So what the determin- and I mean that got me on a whole different thing is like all the different religions have all their different versions of the underworld what what determines who goes where anyway that that's sort of like a a, a side thing but no it's not and it's apparently
0: not. they can go and visit like a vacation spot she was like oh the ancestral yeah. plane
2: is so beautiful <laughs> well, see, it, to me it's not the the answer is so Because she said it, it's in. They said, "Is this the afterlife?" And she says, "No, it's an an afterlife." So so there, she's just out of practice, right? Because like, how long? How how long (laughs) has it been since people have believed in ancient Egyptian gods? That's a good point. Stephen does, and Khonshu does, and you know, I don't. I'm not convinced. Only Mark, I think, does because he's you know met Khonshu. Uh, so there's the belief there, and that's where they go. Hmm.
1: Okay. No, that that's probably if it's a belief thing. I wonder where agnostic people go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, kangaroo. Yeah. Room. Like I'm. Tr- I'm trying to think. What, what would that? What would they imagine?
1: <laughs> Amazing.
2: It's it's. They, they you know what they they would show up to a magician's. You know. Act right, like, <laughs> like, because 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 they they the agnostics know or, you know have an idea that something might be there, but they're not quite sure. And so, was the mag- magic real? Is it not? I don't,
1: it's 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 just a random. They have to like draw draw like it's like a lottery or yeah, something. It's like, like you get to go to right, like it's the Egyptian one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you just you, you hand oh, them one man, of those hundred size D dies and just yeah. take a roll
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe that's what it is it's just one big D <laughs> game for agnostic
1: <laughs> okay sorry for completely oh, derailing
0: no, <laughs>
1: oh no i welcome
0: you, you. Go in ahead. The right spot
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but oh god like the the action the duat with like the arc sailing across the sand oh, was gorgeous yeah
0: Speaking of of Loki, that that was very much Loki vibes for me. I can't remember what the name of the planet is that uh, they visit and it's about to collapse. But that same purple hue is reminiscent of this episode as well. And the way they lead into it too, because to me, like there's so many instances of why Oscar Isaac is a fantastic actor. But after he's just kind of like had enough of it, the way that he physically acts like, just point like just point to his head like okay yeah i get it this is egyptian I'm, I'm dead this is what's happening here i'll prove it to you i'm gonna open this door and there's gonna be a pay oh my god like and the, the vastness of it the vastness of the sand lamentous just one oh yes thank you yes that is that is the planet so speaking of to I've been trying to practice how to say that, and I'm just going to admit, I don't think I've
1: nailed (laughs) it this episode. I I don't know how to say it. Tower it, tower it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I got nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of them, they seem to both respect Osiris, but also have enough agency. They're like, oh, he's not going to like this. And she makes the decision to help Mark and Steven get back to the real world. I know I wasn't here for the episode where in episode 3 where we saw the council of the gods but there's been a lot of rumblings that there is ulterior motives I guess is a great way to put it like there might be some sort of collusion going on with Haro and Osiris it cuz at least in that moment I feel like there's a division between the gods of of making it that choice to help Mark and Steven whenever she already has the responsibility of ushering them into the underworld. That could be, maybe there's something to, to the history of Egyptian gods that explains Mm -hmm. the rift between them, but at least with sticking with the show, that was the read that I was, was getting for her making that choice to help them. Uh, did anybody else pick up anything from that decision?
1: Okay. Uh, so for, I, I sort of took it as Osiris is clearly like the top dog and, um, Mm -hmm. has a duty to shepherd like souls to like, either like to die on the sands or to the field of reeds. Uh, and it seemed like she's choosing to, uh, Instead, send a soul back to the living which is kind of unheard of and it's like kind of upsets the the rules and she's like oh boy Osiris isn't gonna like this so it's sort of like she's just um like sort of defying the established order to to send a soul back but it it could be that there is some ulterior motives happening I mean especially in that courtroom scene there is like i don't know why Harrow was even there mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so weird <laughs> but
3: uh, you lost your <laughs> avatar buddy
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah i mean I, that, that that's probably something that they'll touch i feel like they're going to circle back to the rest of the gods in the next episode but um yeah i i don't know like wh- wh- that, that that was that was kind of how i took it
2: yeah no, I think so. I think I think storytelling wise, I don't think we 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 have that interaction of the gods and the council and not see them again, and the way they acted. So, just storytelling wise, I think it lends to seeing them again. Um, I do like how it very much fit with polytheist, uh, polytheistic ideas of religions in in the sense of you have a main or prime God. You know, if you think, I don't know, Zeus, Odin, all father, right. Osiris. And then you have other gods that are powerful, but they are God of a particular thing or domain. Um, But they're very much personified. They have agency, you know, and and so in in that sense like i i thought it was really well done uh to the whole show but even that interaction right of of uh, it's not going to like this but cuz but they they're still god right they're still like god and, yeah. and with agency and get to make that and make that choice um you know so that's so to me i i think it's both you know um in terms of like yeah we're going to see Cyrus again, I think there's going to be kind of a sinister thing.
0: So I did want to circle back to this because we got a read on your theories with the scale mm. slushy about the the fact that Stephen is gone, and then we see the scale's balance for Mark, and he is created in the field of reeds with that very peaceful moment. I went the other way. I really think the reason the scales are balanced is not because Stephen died, but it was in that moment. So like everything in this episode, whether it be the sessions with Dr. Harrow or the fantastical of going through the traumas and having both identities have to reconcile with truth, everything leads towards them learning compassion for each other. And I think, at least in terms of the scale, when Steven is frozen in the sands and Mark's reaching out over the boat screaming for him, and the balance, the scale is balanced, it is because that is where it finally accepts that they have accepted one another. So it's not that he's gone, it's, it's the proof of working together, I guess. And so now it's going to be faced with we know Mark is accepting of Stephen now, but now he has the promise of, what did they call it? Um, paradise, I believe they called it, or the the afterlife. Now he has to choose between going back to that or finally having peace at the end of that. And I think that's a very interesting place for them to leave it mm-hmm. in this episode.
2: So let me ask you this. Do two, two things. A, would we be happy seeing Steven again? Or in other words, is, do, is he really gone? Um, or do we want him to be really gone? Um, and, and the only the only reason why I ask that or bring it up is because we have, and we and I mentioned it before, this whole mind with the MCU, they keep going back to this mind-body, mind body And if Steven... I guess it's just which way are they going to take it, right? Because if if Mark created Stephen, uh, this dis- to disassociate, right? So this where this identity comes from. Can that identity be left behind if the body and Mark return? You know, or can Mark? Re- can Mark recall that there or or let me let me even say that it's not a, even a recall, but it's i don't I don't know how to to word it, but like can one identity um and now I'm really getting into the weeds because I don't because there's a the actual disorder that this isn't going to be accurate of, and so I guess as storytellers which way do you think they're gonna go um, you know i'll I'll start just answering my own question like i love Mark I mean love Steven but I don't want to see him again um, just because I feel like the, the scene was powerful and it was it was balanced and so if all of a sudden he can just like kind of oh you're still there you, you know what I mean and, and then it's, mm-hmm. it's just like it kind of loses some impact uh, afterwards and no there was some stakes there you know Um, so so yeah, so I I don't know, I but but I could see them easily going the other way as well.
0: One, I'm shocked that you you have the right answer, but I love Steven. <laughs> I, I would want to see him back. But you, I see what you mean. But what about you, Slushy? Where are you were you falling on Jude's question? Yeah,
1: or... um, I I I kind of agree with, with with you both of you as well. Like I feel like Steven, it, like they spent a lot of time like showing that you know him turning like solidifying in the sands and it seems like you you can't come back from that if they did bring him back i think it would kind of it would undercut the emotion of that moment um so it feels like he's gone and um but at the same time it's like it seems like steven is such a big part of like mark and you know like you know they're the same person right mm-hmm. uh it, it's like what is he gonna be without steven it's kind of hard to say i, I yeah I, I i don't really know but it, it does seem it does feel pretty final and that now mark is like it's it's part of his arc that maybe he doesn't need steven anymore like it's, it's such a weird uh, uh, yeah, yeah it's such a weird way to say it but like you know They've gone. They're both gone gone through that growth and recogni- reconciled with their past and their pain, and like Mark clearly has has had that growth, and now he doesn't need Stephen anymore. Mm-hmm. But I love Stephen too. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, you know, in, in one of the, <laughs> the group
1: chats that Trey and
2: I have is Trey and I and uh, JP, um B, who's been a guest on here before, and you know we'll be back kind of soon we were talking about that this this do we still see elements of steven through mark you know but like but because it's it's that it steven realizes wait i'm you i can do these things and has that confidence Mm. to do it And, and so we still have to see mark tapping into that steven side you know, the, I don't know, he might read a hieroglyph or something, uh, but you know, so, so he has to tap into that, that Steven side, but, but it has an actual identity. I don't know. Like, and, and I guess to me, again, that, that, that works into the, how far do you take it in with the, the representing, representing or showing, um, and, and also just how little I know about it, you know, cause there, there leaves an implication of, oh, if you just reconcile these two identities, one goes away. It, you, you know what I mean? And, and, and I don't, I can't, I don't imagine it's that simple. Um, and, and so in that sense, it's like well, in theory, like as writers, you could find a way to get that, to get that back. And, and I can understand, uh, the temptation to do that. Uh, cause so many people loved Steven.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Me.
0: I, I think I can't remember if it made it in an episode or not, but I've had favorite characters in the MCU. Captain America, oh, yeah. like that uh, one I go to, I've never rooted for a character. Like I've rooted for Steven from the beginning. Like I've been pulling from him from day one because they made him so endearing and I, I think you're right, Jude. I don't want you to be, but I think you're right because you have that powerful moment where Steven's like, you got this, Mark. And if you got this, that means I got this. And then he started fighting back against the other the, the creatures that were trying to pull them under. I don't know. I, I, I selfishly want to see Stephen again, but I think I could make peace with Mark finding Stephen within himself without needing that identity, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, man. Well, uh, uh, before we move into listeners' first takes, does anybody have any any last thing they want to add to this section before moving on?
1: Uh, one thing I did want to mention, <laughs> another nitpick.
0: <laughs> no, go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because, so they're on the Duat, right? Mm-hmm. And Taurat was like, you need to balance your scales before we get to the fields of reeds because if they're balanced then I'll let you pass but if you don't then you're getting thrown into the sands but then they change course to go to the gates of Osiris instead to go back to the realm of the living why like why does his scales still need to be balanced at that point
0: my answer is because i'm still in the camp that this is all haro's manipulation <laughs> and scales have been haro's thing that, from b- the that's beginning. that's a good
1: point i forgot about that
0: not not to completely dismiss because i think there is some egyptian mm. with goddesses that gods and goddesses that i don't know about so i think there is some level of real world implications there but in terms of this story and how much they've repeated the symbolism of haro and and the scales it feels like it's something that's that haro is trying to get out of them being balanced uh so that's that's why i still think that but i don't know if anybody else is I doing was that just going to say
2: cuz that would have Made it for a very short episode. Yeah,
1: um. <laughs> <laughs> um. yeah. I mean, I would have been fine if it was like to pass through any gates, you need to, to be balanced, yeah. have scales balance. Like, maybe that's just what it is. I don't yeah. know, but it's like you don't really need that kind of judgment because, like, the reason it's there is to see if you are worthy of being let into paradise, right? Mm. But if you are just going back to the land of the living, right. it's like. <laughs> who so, cares you want to go where okay <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to that place yeah we'll happily oh, kick you back you up there. Go to Earth? Oh, dear Lord.
2: <laughs> you, you've been hanging out with the ancient greeks haven't you um like uh, no and i guess a serious answer I'd, I'd have to be is like just it's a very human thing um mm. the this idea of balance um the, i mean let's talking about ancient egypt right and centuries before things you know so like will take us i'm trying to say this without me being me um if if that makes sense <laughs> um so like one of the things i find fascinating if you look like aristotle and his ethics and he has this um this the, the the golden mean of moderation, right? The virtue is going to be the middle ground between two extremes. Siddhartha and the first, you know, in his journey from Hinduism to being the first Buddha, and you look at the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, you get a Greek philosopher and, you know, a Hindu prince become aesthetic that ter- becomes... What we would call the first Buddha, although you know, Buddha is just the the title, right, for whoever's enlightened. And but so much of that is about balance, you know, and, mm-hmm. and finding a balance, um, and and truly understanding that um, not that not that desire is bad, but the desire is um, in its proper place it helps us get where we want. and We're desiring the things that we truly want, right? Um, eternity, life, uh, contentment, uh, and, and those things. And that's a very human theme you see across cultures and religions and stuff. So I think it tracks that even here, it's like whether whether it's a, a judgment, right, for where you're going to go in the afterlife, but even the turning around, if you're going to turn around and try to make a case of like, no, you got to send this person back you know, and then, and there was a hint of it. Like one of the things Harrow said, it was like, Hey, he's unwell. Like he wasn't a fit avatar. And, and so you already get this charge of manipulation and, and, you know, the gods were like, Oh wow. Oh my gosh. I can't believe he did this. Um, and, and again, he's not, he's unbalanced. He's not, or he's unwell. He's unbalanced. And, and so, and so in that sense, I think it still tracks with that, uh, very human religious uh, motifs of the show Yep, I just killed the episode there. Yeah No.
1: I mean, for his of, no. Uh, yeah, I mean yeah, again, it, it, it's a dumb nitpick, so obviously that doesn't mean worst episode ever, but like, I think it does it, it, it fits in thematically with what this episode was going for. was that? you know Steven and Mark needed to find balance within mm-hmm. themselves and that that was just a plot device to drive that oh, yeah. right so so yeah yeah, yeah i mean no, it, yeah <laughs> yeah i don't
2: think it's a dumb nitpick at all but it, it's it's one of those things like Mm-mm. like i mean i mean to me it goes both ways it it's mm-hmm. it's how do i efficiently tell the story where i got to get the boat turned around and because think about it, right? Like you have the arc of the of the show, um, but to con- to continue this, oh, are they going to make it suspense? You need some kind of clock or something they're fighting against, mm-hmm. and really, all they're doing is trying is, is the conflict is the two of them and in, in getting Mark to open up they're in the afterlife they can take all all the time they want right mm-hmm. it's it's in theory it's mm-hmm. eternity it's infinite right there's no sense of time anyways and so what what ramps up that pressure of you running against the clock right we're going to get to this point and it better be balanced and so it it works as a plot device right
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh in that sense so like as a nitpick i think it's a very valid nitpick of like you're not being judged. Like why, 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 is, what's the point? And so in that case, as a story mechanism, it's like, Oh, we're just gonna, you know, um, but there's all, there's that religious motif, which, which I've really,
3: mm-hmm. it's
2: interesting to me because I, I really got attached to a theme in the first two episodes for sure of this religious fanaticism that I don't Mm -hmm. think has fully carried out to this point. Um, And, and so, and, and not because like they dropped the ball, but that religious fanaticism very much came through Harrow and his followers, Mm -hmm. you know, and as, and as the story shifted more towards Layla, Mark, Steven, it's just, it's a different, it's in a different spot place.
1: Yeah, I can I can see them circling back to that in the final episode at least. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean towards the end we see that like oh, a whole bunch of souls are being judged before their time and it was like okay some some stuff is going down in the in the realm of the living. Yeah. So I think that's lead up to to that and maybe we'll see more of the um, the the uh the followers of um Harrow and like what 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 happened <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah the speed at which those souls are making it to the underworld has ramped up significantly <laughs> which makes me feel like amit has made their debut mm-hmm. <laughs> well yeah i th- i think we can go ahead and move into the listeners first takes uh so we did reach out on social media to see what people thought of the episode and we're going to read through a few of them here uh, starting with this one, this one comes in from Ben.Maddy on Instagram and it reads Oscar Isaac is amazing. This episode was full of emotional character moments and development. It showed how fragile the mind can be and I may have reached for a tissue at one point. Oh yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> I think I think even with this this recording we were fighting mm. back tears. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh man. That was rough. <laughs> and yes, all of that. Oscar Isaac, MVP. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Uh JV from Instagram, quite possibly my favorite episode of MCU TV to date. You know what, JB, you and I have texted. I'm with you. And that, I've already said at the beginning of this episode, this is and maybe the finale beats it, but it'd be really hard.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's just the 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 structure of the episode itself. Like I didn't really talk about it in the discussion. This, this episode already hits hard on the first viewing, but when you know how it plays out, the way they hint at what's coming, it is just beautifully constructed as a story mm-hmm. piece.
1: I think it might be one of my favorites of the MCU TV as well. This one's from Instagram from friend Daniel. This was the hardest anything from the MCU I've had to watch. Like, I'm reaching for Jessica Jones or Punisher for comparisons. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting that he brings those up because those were – season one of Jessica Jones was so tough and so dark. Oh, God.
3: Um,
2: And even the first season of The Punisher. Like, well, I remember Jessica Jones – well, Daredevil, I would just binge through. Jessica Jones is like, I'm going to take a break after two episodes and – Come back, <laughs> you know. I, I, you just couldn't binge that. Um, and Punisher was so violent. So, so to reach that level of comparison on a, on a TV 14 show is really amazing, um, storytelling, amazing visual, you know, creation.
1: Mm hmm. The so that's it goes to some similarly dark places, and it's just so emotionally heavy.
2: Mm hmm.
0: I still need to see those shows. (laughs) That's my shame. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta. I know. Uh, Moving on to the next one. This one comes in from Mr. Marvel's Minutes on Instagram. And it reads, not my favorite, but we got the origin story. Sad that we're just one episode away from the finale. Uh, I think that's kind of the same sentiments outside of being not the Mm. favorite, but feeling like (laughs) there's only one more episode to go. I think that's the common ground here with this one.
2: No. I am curious to which one's your favorite. Yeah, yeah. Let us know. Mr. Marvel's Minutes. I think an important question to ask after this episode is, has anyone noticed we don't really have a true villain or bad guy? Uh, and the follow-up to that is, are we okay with that, Mr. Melt?
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. I, I don't think I thought of it that way because I, I very much just mentally thought Harrow, bad guy. But I think...
1: Yeah, same. Yeah, but... um.
2: <laughs>
0: Okay. So just real quickly, since I'm on the social media, I responded to them with a joke because like I couldn't fit a response in 280 characters because there's so much nuance to this. But I just put, well, it depends on how much you like littering. And I just showed a picture of the girl from episode one who puts (laughs) the trash in the pyramid. (laughs) But I'm I'm with you all and just kind of this like wrestling with the question now that we have the space to talk about it. Because I really do think it comes down Mm -hmm. to what you believe of is the reality of Dr. Haro the case or the Amit Haro? Because if it's Amit Haro, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. and
2: we've talked about this before with the the Disney Plus shows, which is how the Disney Plus shows in particular, but um, even some of the more recent movies, but, but where the villain becomes more conceptual than a person. Right. I mean, they, they give us a person that's going to be punched. Right. Um, in that scene, in that sense, but like WandaVision, it's really grief. Right. Um, mm. the, in, in those types of of things, like you, you get a person to punch in Hawkeye. Right. But it's, it's reconciling, Um, broken relationships right Um, between Hawkeye and Yelena Hawkeye and Echo um, Bishop and her mom right and I mean you get somebody to punch uh, Echo and I can't remember the guy's name now Kingpin no not Kingpin the one oh, that, like,
1: oh, that, oh, that, I think I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember the name. Oh of that. man, Kazi, Kazi,
2: yes, you know, and and there it is, <laughs> and, and their relationship going awry, you know, or going wrong or awry. What are, who am I? And their relationship going bad. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I mean, you get the idea. It's just so conceptual. Um, so
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think we got one more.
1: This is coming from Ken from who knows
2: where <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <on> Twitter
0: <laughs> Ken Ken is private on social media oh. so that's why I always forget I just have their name not their <laughs> user oh, no no no
2: that's I, I, I kind of want that moniker to stick you know who knows Ken at the end it's, it's a it's a it's a suffix
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is Ken on. Ken has his thoughts <laughs> <laughs> We're in Young touch <laughs> with Ken. he <laughs> said, oof, that was a very heavy and emotional episode, but in a good way. They should just call the show Mark and Steven. I'm not even thinking about Moon Knight. Oops, I meant Steven with a V. <laughs> oh, yeah, he he, he did the Steven.
2: Yes, yes. Steven. <laughs> with a, a ph.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mm-hmm. My favorite thing is he did a follow-up tweet for that one. <laughs> so there was time in between the original tweet and then the second one where he realized the mistake. <laughs> Listen, multiverse of madness is around the corner. I've got Stephen Strange in the yeah. as well. It happens. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what if oh, in Doctor man. Strange we get Oscar Isaac and Stephen, but with the PH?
1: Mm. <laughs> that's, that's madness, all right. <laughs>
0: Uh, foot like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I'm Stephen with a Ph doesn't quite have. Actually, the if you same add the D with a PhD,
2: <laughs> you get the rhyme.
0: Oh. Get the rhyme <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There it is. Dr. It Stephen is. Grant. <laughs> well, I, I do want to say thank you all for submitting those first takes. It's always fun to get a read of those. Uh,. But yeah, I think all we've got left is final thoughts. So, Slushy, coming back to you, is there any final thoughts you have on the way
1: out? I hmm. I mean, it's a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> I I I, I yeah. enjoyed it as as emotionally heavy as it is. I, it's easily one of my favorites. Um, what I did ended up what I did end up doing was rewatching the end of episode four like after seeing episode five just to see and you know how they pass by that coffin for like a second the violent one which we all assumed it was the third personality Mm -hmm. but um this is totally random but i was also just thinking since i had already decided at that point there was no third personality i was thinking what could that be then and i i thought that maybe it was like like a representation of the abusive mother that was locked Mm. away and they both like look at it and like we're not gonna touch that (laughs) just like (laughs) it's like like the elephant in the room it's like "Mm, (laughs) "Mm, let's not go there but at the same time i don't know if that tracks because uh steven was also in a sarcophagus so yeah Uh, it it, it plays yeah Yeah, i think it does into the ambiguity of like is there a third one yeah i don't know
0: Hmm. Well, I think if we do run into, to like, well, man, they hinted at it so much and we don't get that third identity. I like your read. A lo- to me, that holds a lot of weight that, that is the, the repressed memories of his mother in that sarcophagus. And that's why they would both have that reaction to like, not want to mm-hmm. dig into that at <laughs> that moment.
2: Well, and there was a hippo in the room, so there has to be an elephant in No, so that's too. true. So... So that's, that's what I'm looking for. The third finale is the truly the elephant in the room. Um, (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Um, Oh man.
0: For me, I'll, I'll keep it to something to consider going into next episode. The biggest moment I think at the end of this is Steven is solidified in Stan and he is, in sense, rejected from the Field of Reeds. Circle back to the first episode. The girl asks, what was it like to be rejected from oh! the Field of Reeds? I, I don't have enough to go on just yet, but that is something to definitely keep in mind next oh, week.
1: Oh, snap! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is incredible. Who is that little yeah. girl? so,
0: yeah. So this could be some weird time thing, or this is not the first time they've tried to go through the field of reads. Damn. So that that that's where I'll leave my final thoughts for this week. You're
1: blowing my mind, Trey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man! Well, you know what, Ashley, I want to say thank you so much for joining us on this episode because this has been an absolute blast to have. Oh you
1: yeah, on. no, thank you for so much for having me. This is it's so fun to and on this episode too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. When we have you on again, I'll try to make sure it's not an episode. Like this.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, happy, happy to come back. Thank you so much uh, for for having me on. It was mm-hmm. a pleasure discussing this episode with both of you. Absolutely,
2: thank you so much um yeah. god you just left me speechless on that on the last part Trey. but yeah thank you thank you i'm like i'm still running <laughs> that through my head and, and, and there it's like uh but yes it was it was wonderful getting to spend this time with you um mm-hmm. you know and, and sharing actually in the very again the very mm-hmm. beginning what you do on on twitch mm-hmm. and um with with our listeners Yeah.
0: And of course, like we said, if you want to keep up with Slushy's work, you can follow them both on Twitter and Twitch at The Slushy, two E's in both words. And of course, we'll link to their YouTube channel in the show notes as well. As far as this show goes, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, It's a great place to connect with us and share your pre-spoiler thoughts as well as vote on what our episode title is to help shape the show.
2: Yeah. And of course, scroll down to the show notes where you'll find a variety of links, one for our Discord, um, one to contact us. Uh, be sure, you know, pop in on the Discord. Make sure you click on the eye emojis to get your role assigned, to have access to all the spoiler channels, you know, participate. Um, click on the link and let's see some, you know, slushy doing Hamilton. Um, <laughs> you know, that'll be there as well. There, you'll see the phone number. Please call in, leave Leave us a voicemail, get your your thoughts on the internet for posterity. And the best thing, of course, you can always do for us is the rating and review and sharing with a friend.
0: We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work in a SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. Well, that's gonna do it. Thank you so much for listening, and Jude and Slushy, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. We'll see you all next week. Boom! That's an episode. Yeah. Oh. Two, <laughs> A little over, but uh, we got it. <laughs> oh man, that was so much fun.
2: That was a lot of
1: fun. Yeah, that was so good. Is that my first time? Like. Doing a podcast type thing, so thank you so much for for having me on. Yeah. Hey, so
2: let me ask you this how how different did it feel from streaming?
1: Well, um, obviously, I I don't talk to people when I. Stream. <laughs> 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 well, well, okay, okay, That's that, that feels just bad because chat is people. <laughs> <laughs> chat, chat is people, but but I mean the people. Okay, chat is people. That feels kind of sad. No, but no, like- I
0: get you. I get you. I get you.